K-A-L-W. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Uncuff. This is Greg Eskridge, and as always, I'm coming to you from the San Quentin side of the program. So today we're here with Tommy Shakur Ross, one of our founding members of the radio program here at San Quentin. Shakur has spent years going through the process of trying to get parole and get out of prison. And today, he's almost there. But it's complicated. And in order to understand why, you got to understand how he got here. Tommy Shakur, Ross Uncuffin with young Greg Estridge up in here. Now, Ross. Yeah. Now, bro, we've been doing this for a long time, man. Indeed. We've been coming down to this media center, to this lab, since 2012, bro. Yeah, we started this. Can you believe that, man? I can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) For real. So I know I met you in 2012 here, but I've heard about you since I was a since I was a young kid, man. You're still a young kid. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate Uh, that, bro. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, so I want to talk. I want to talk about that, man, because in the '80s, you know, growing up in Long Beach, um, hearing about Joker before Joker. I before I knew who Tommy Shakur Ross was, I, I I heard about Joker, and I heard about this dude that that lost his mom and his little brother to to retaliation. Uh, gang violence, right? And so in in Southern California, that pretty much um, had a ripple effect on on a big portion of the population out there that was involved, that was in the streets or in some type of criminal gang gang behavior. So uh, on September the 7th, 1985, I was approached uh, by two rival gang members inside a liquor store on Florence and Normandy in South Central Los Angeles. Mm-hmm which resulted in the death of Mr. Stanford Versi. Mm-hmm. Four days after that, my mother and little brother were, were killed in retaliation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that had a devastating uh, impact on me. I still feel a lot of guilt and shame for losing my mother and little brother as a result of my actions. I can't even imagine what you, what you went through, what you're going through now. But I know there has to be some some uh some a lot of anger back then and i can i can imagine you wanted to seek revenge oh oh yeah mm-hmm. all i can think about was revenge and being on the war path when that happened to my family members it was no longer about gang banging it right. wasn't about gang banging no more this was personal yeah fortunately i i had got arrested 4 days after that happened Oh, wow. Four days after my mother and little brother were killed, I was arrested. So that put me in a different space, right? So now, now I'm sitting in a holding tank. I'm sitting in the cell. But I still have in my mind, I still have my mentality that I want to want revenge. When I first came to prison, I pretty much was sort of passively doing time, right? I, I wasn't involved in any groups f- for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got to Calipatra eight years into my sentence, 
I started attending Islamic services. Uh, and I, I, I participated in Ramadan. And Ramadan had a huge impact on uh, how I saw myself. You know, it's 30 days of fasting. Uh, it's, it's, it requires discipline, you know, uh, and, and self-restraint, no eating or drinking for, for 30 days, essentially. And one of the most interesting things happened during this time uh, when I was at Calipat. Well, the brother of one of the persons who had been convicted for killing my mother and little brother uh, was in Calipatra. He came to Calipatra, should I say, and uh, he was a Muslim. But initially, you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to deal with him, right? But but eventually, we began to talk, and uh, we we became good brothers in Islam. Wow, that's a uh, wow. That's deep. Yeah, that's deep. I mean, you spent all of these years seeking revenge and waiting for the opportunity to to seek our revenge on on the people that are responsible. And then here it is, one of the people who was related to one of the people that was responsible shows up on the yard. Like, why did you not assault him or attack him? On, 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 on one hand, I was, I'd begun practicing Islam. I was striving to be a better person. So spiritually, uh, I wasn't about violence. But on the other hand, uh, I was experiencing degrees of Fear, like I had, I had a certain fear that if I was to be act out violently, that I would lose myself in violence, and and, and I wouldn't come back, right? Mm-hmm. And I also began to think about like, like what would my what would my mother and little brother want me to do in this type of circumstances, yeah. right? Would they want me to enact revenge, or would they want me to be a better person? So you've been in prison 36 years. 36.7. Yeah, yeah, yo, I guess you don't don't want to leave out the point seven. (laughs) Yeah, man. That's seven months. So what other uh, programs or did you do get involved in to help you rehabilitate yourself? 27 years into my sentence, I attended restorative justice for the first time. And I began to take accountability for the crimes that I committed. Like, so Islam, it impacted me on the spiritual level, uh, right, uh, in, in terms of me being a more humble and good-natured person. But I still had yet to come to terms with the crimes that I committed. So I was, I was invited to this uh, restorative justice symposium, and I was uh, having some dissonance about whether I wanted to attend or not. I sat inside the circle, and it was just something about the restorative justice circle that was so sacred. It, it was a it was a space of of trusting, and it was an opportunity to be seen, and that impacted me, and that brought about my initial change. And then a month later, I was trained as a as a circle keeper, and uh, I've been involved in restorative justice ever since. After thirty one years. I attended my first initial board hearing. It was given a seven-year denial. Uh, I accepted it, and uh, I had to, you know, uh, process the way I was feeling. Yeah. Like in the past, I didn't know how to process my feelings. Yes, I did experience anger. 
I experienced sadness. I experienced loneliness. And I experienced degrees of depression as a result of that seven-year denial. 36 years into my sentence, I attended my subsequent board hearing and was found suitable in a two-part hearing. Man, 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 it's about time, bro. Congratulations. I remember the day when you got found suitable, bro. We all rushed down to the studio because we wanted to capture that raw emotion. Yeah. Nate was still up in here. This was right before he went home. Yep, young Nate. So right now we're going to cut to some clips of that very day. Sounds like a plan. Tommy Shakur Ross today has been found suitable by the by the Board of Parole Hearings. Yeah. Say it ain't so. So, Shakur, when that lady first told you, or whoever it was there, man, or the board, that you're no longer a threat to public safety, how did that hit you? How did that feel? It's a vindication and a validation. Uh, And I sat there, and as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to her, because they have to go on record the reasons why they're finding you suitable. The reasons, you know, the the mitigating factors or aggregating factors or neutral factors. So the things that she was saying, it was, she was pretty much affirming who I am today. So as you know, they give us an opportunity to do a closing statement, right? And my closing statement was geared towards empathy and remorse, accountability and amends. And... When I started reading that, so I start off by saying, first of all, I want to apologize to the commissioners, uh, the correctional officers in the room, and my attorney for having to listen to uh, these heinous acts, right? And that's where emotions started right then and there. The tears started to flow, and it was difficult to get through that entire uh, closing statement, right? But I was able to get through that. So I was raw at that point. So then they went into the deliberation, 15 minutes, and when they came back, and just hearing them pretty much confirm my suitability and who I am today, that was emotional to hear. When my attorney was giving his closing statement, when he was saying the things about the person that he sees me today and all the work that I did, that was also a moment when I became emotional and the tears just was falling. Man, Shakur, it's just so much I want to say, man. I'm just, first, I want to just say uh, uh, congratulations, bro. Right I on. Mean, I received that. I've, I, I've known you for years, man. I've seen you, I've seen you walk this, uh, 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 walk this prison. It's just mind blowing, man. I'm just curious, Shakur, like when you just, just imagine when you go back to your cell today and you make all your phone calls and you get away from everybody and it's just you and you and yourself. You know, and just just a scenario. Just say, for instance, you looking in the mirror. What you gonna say when you look in the mirror, man? Man, you did it. <laughs> you did it. That's I'm proud right. of you. I'm proud of you. Like yeah. you showed up for yourself. Clarity yeah. of thought, authenticity, authenticity. I like, feel that. Hey, we're proud of you too, man. And congrats so once again. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you. it couldn't happen to a better person. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man, to the top of my emotions, man. 
I appreciate that, uh, bro. You you deserve it. Oh y'all. You deserve it. Bro. And Edmonds over there and, and, and you know with the yeah, Edmund. Edmund, you got some. Yeah, man. Edmund with the headset on, man. Go ahead. You got to take off your producer hat, man. You got you, you to say something, man. <laughs> yeah, y'all had me on a desk duty today. Yeah. <laughs> Engineering duty. Um, I mean, just listen, listening to the conversation. I'm 35 years old. You've been in prison 36 years. Mm. That is bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, I got here like five years ago. And when I first met you was in B building and he was writing an essay on feminism for one of your classes. And I read it. And it was like, it was deep. It was hella analytical, but it, it showed that you had insight. You can, you can tell some, you can tell who a person is by what they put down on paper. Um, and that really inspired me to start writing, to start my journey in my education. Um, if I were to model anybody in like a similar program, it would be you. Because everything, everything that you're doing, I'm doing. So just by being you, you've been hella impactful in my life. That's real. I want to speak directly to Shakur in this moment, Shakur. Like, I've been here for about five years watching your walk, right? And you've been consistent, brother. Like, regardless of the ups and downs and, and man, like, you, you've you been denied at board, what, two times, three times, man? And every single time, brother, I've seen you come back head high, heart strong, firm in your conviction, saying, I know I changed. That's what's up. You always told me, it's like, I know I changed. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't get it this time, Tom, I'm going to get it next time. And you didn't change one. Your walk did not change because you are who you are. And that is a transformed human being. The denials were difficult to take and, dip- and difficult to accept. But what kept me grounded is knowing the harm that I caused others. Mm. And the fact that I took somebody's life and this person would never get his life back. Mm-hmm. So, so what's a denial compared to me taking this person's life? True. It's powerful. You obviously want to go home, but change seemed to be your motivating factor. That seemed, as from my perspective, it seemed like you just want to be a better person. That's a true statement. That's you know, very accurate. So, so my question to you is um, being judged for 36 years based on a crime that you committed back when you were 19 years old, how does it feel for somebody to now actually see Shakur for who Shakur really truly is and not judge you based on that uh, split-second decision that you made years ago? Yeah. See, that, that question right there has me feeling emotional, too, because it's, because it's real. And uh, just being lost in stigma, right, of criminality, it's hard. It was, it was difficult for me to get past that based on my past history, right? But for, for the commissioners to validate who I am today by finding me suitable, that's pretty much they're saying, uh, yeah, uh, I can see you as my neighbor, 
And it's like, mm-hmm. man, they finally see me for who I am. So Absolutely. it's definitely validating. Now that you've been found, so to speak, you know, quote unquote, suitable, you know, what's your plans for the future? What do you plan to do? I mean, wow. from the first thing you want to eat to <laughs> wow, I, I, shrimp fried rice. I got to have some mm. shrimp fried okay. rice. Okay, okay, man, that sounds okay. shrimp fried rice. Now, once we once we get once we get our gullet full of shrimp fried rice, I mean, what's the next thing? What's the plan? So, I have my my family and friends meet me at the gate, right? Get out, right? Embrace them. Uh, and uh, just enjoy myself. So for me, I think I want to take at least a month or two just relaxing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just go and hit the ground running, right? I want to enjoy my freedom. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? That looks like uh, horseback riding. That looks like hiking. Oh, I want to definitely, I want to hike Mount Tam. I want to mm-hmm. conquer Mount Tam and look at San Quentin from the other side of Mount Tam. I want a white water raft. Mm. I want a snowboard, right? So there, there, there are a variety of things that I want to do uh, just to enjoy life. Show come a long way from a young, a young dude from the ghetto. <laughs> 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 right, I don't know what they would say about white water raft. <laughs> yeah, I want to get in the yeah, kayak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to try it out. Yeah, yeah, ain't no rappers in South Central. <laughs> yeah, just let me just let me know when you let me know when you going on Mount Tam. Mount Tam. So I'm gonna come out on the yard and wave. You know we gonna all wave. We are gonna stand in the middle of the yard and wave at you. Yeah, <laughs> so you can see you. Yeah. So 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 yeah. But for the first six months, I will be in transitional housing. You know, so for me, I think I want to just utilize that time just to like reconnect with my family members, yeah. reconnect with old friends. Yeah. One of the things I definitely want to do is I want to uh, go back down to L.A. and I want to uh, uh, put some flowers on my mother and little brother's grave, mm. my son's my son's grave, my father's grave, uh, my older half sisters and older half brothers' graves. So it's some mm. things. So that's unfinished business for me. Absolutely. You know, so I definitely have some things that I want to do as I transition into society. That's just not all about just work, work, work. Shakur, um, you are a gamer. You are a person that is the model, that is the example, the paradigm of what it means to have a transformation. And if any of us achieve a tenth of what you achieved, we'd be above the clouds. And once again, congratulations. It comes from the bottom of my heart and it comes from the heart of our uncuffed family. Absolutely. And you are a reckoning proof that you aren't the sum total of the worst day of your life. True. And from now on, you have an obligation and a duty to fulfill all of your dreams and expectations and live up to your true potential and why you were put here on this earth. Be example, bro. Because a lot of people are following behind you. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Nate. And uh, Shakur, man, I just want to thank you for the way you've shown up, just your strength that you've always exuded. All right. And yeah, I just want to echo um, what Nate said, man. There's, and what you said earlier, there's an incredible responsibility on your shoulders. You know, you going out there now, you're representing us. Yeah. You know, For sure. you represent us still still in here. You're representing what change looks like, what 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 transformation looks like, what redemption looks like, what healing looks like. 
So I just want to, I implore you, man, like live your life. But when it's time to give back, bring this, bring this Shakur I'm staring at right now. Let them see this. For sure. It's on it's coming, Jack. Ditto. It's coming, Jack. <laughs> Tommy Ross is on yes, his sir. way, everybody. On his way. Y'all better get ready. Yeah. Batting down the hatches. Success <laughs> is on its way. That's right. right. All right, everybody. We're back in the studio again. This time I got Edmund. Hey, y'all. And Tan joining us. What's up? And Shakur. Hello. All right, y'all. So it's been about five months since the last time we were here. You know, last time we were here, we were super excited to hear Shakur got found suitable for parole. Mm -hmm. But as things always do, man, uh, something went wrong in this process. So uh, Shakur, I'm going to throw it to you and uh, you tell us what's going on, bro. Give us an update. All right. So as you know, back in October, I was found suitable for parole, you know, really excited about that process. But after being found suitable for parole, there's a uh, 120 days board review. And there's also an additional 30 days uh, for the governor to review your case, which is 150 days altogether. So on the 147th day, the governor decided to send my case to an in-bank review. Explain to us what an in-bank is. Well, an in-bank is a full review of commissioners, right? The, the, the full board, it's like 13 commissioners who have this public hearing and they take in consideration the concerns that the governor has for sending me to in-bank. And the uh, the governor's concern was he wanted to determine whether I have insight and coping skills, right? Mm -hmm. So during this process, uh, I can have supporters who will speak on my behalf, a uh, limited amount of supporters, mm -hmm. and also people can write letters on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of that, the commissioners will then decide whether to affirm my parole grant or to deny it. So basically what you're saying is that you still don't know if you're going to be going home yet. It's still up in the air. Yes. Unfortunately, yeah, I still I still don't know. And it's it's honestly, you know, it's it's been a roller coaster ride, an uh, emotional roller coaster ride, to be exact. I bet. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, as I'm counting down, like I'm counting the days down. I'm intentionally, I'm not trying to count them down because I, you know, I haven't done my time like that. I've been incarcerated 36 years. But yeah. now it's like I'm counting down month yeah. after month. And then to get to the 147th day and for to get the decision saying, we're sending you to Inbound. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you holding up? I mean, I'm, I'm holding up good. I mean, I do want to say initially, like, I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I was, I was, even, I was even angry. Mm. But... Uh, I had to think about the harm that I caused. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, if I hadn't harmed a person, if I haven't committed the crime of murder, then I wouldn't be dealing with this situation. So that sort of put me in check. That that sort of let me know that you know I still I, I'm still walking above earth. You know, I still have another day to work on myself to be a better person. So uh, when I put it in that perspective. 
it kind of like checked me, so to speak. I checked myself, so to speak. It, it, it gave me a different perspective to look at this whole process. I definitely mm. hear you on that. And I hear that you staying positive, but I'm going to be real, man. Like, I feel like I'm taking this worse than you are. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel, I feel hurt, man. Because, like, I see so many brothers like you who have done the time, went through the grueling board process, get found suitable, and then have to go through this in-bank process. Like, Nate had to go through this, too. And I've seen yep. how much it affected Nate, right? And it just makes, it, it really hurts me. It makes me feel like, how is this even fair? How is this even right? But just to see you handling this so well, it's inspiring, brother. I just want to commend you, for real. But I also I also want to say this though, like the governor, he could have took my date, yeah, all together. Truth, yeah. And if the governor had taken my date, that would mean I wouldn't be going back to board until another eighteen months. And then, if I was granted suitability, then I would have to wait another hundred and fifty days to go through this process all over again. You would never lie, right? Yeah, that's and that's interesting. So so unbound because I know when you went to the board. You go to the board and you sit sit in front of a panel of uh, commissioners and you get a chance to basically represent for yourself. But now you're pretty much at the mercy of like other people speaking on your behalf. So yeah. you don't have a you you basically don't have a say. Yeah, and I'm not situation. there. And you, mm. I, I don't appear for this for the in bank process. So in the board hearing, yes, I'm I'm sitting before a commissioner and a deputy commissioner. But for this process, I'm not even present. So that has to be a lot of anxiety when you can't even, you can't fight for yourself. Yeah. You know, so you got to depend on other people to basically speak your truth for you. Wow. Yeah. So, Shakur. Yeah. I know that the governor's office wants to, wants to see if you have insight and coping skills and you're not able to speak on your behalf at InBank. But if you had the opportunity to, what would you tell them? Wow. First of all, I want to say, uh, in order to get to a place where I knew that I could e even begin to cope, I had to do the work. And what I mean by the work is I had to go and I had to go look back at my childhood traumas and I had to process that and understand, like, like what makes me tick? Like, what are my triggers? What are my internal triggers? What are my external triggers, Right. So uh, I've learned in the past, like, one of the things that would trigger me would be not to be acknowledged or, or, or uh, when I feel like I'm being disrespected or humiliated. And in the, in the past, which landed me in prison when I was put in that situation where I felt I was disrespected or humiliated, I acted out in violence. But now that I understand that, if I'm put in a moment where I feel like I'm being humiliated. Now I have the tools. Now I'm able to like just just check in and process like why am I feeling this way? Oh, right. this is this is this is me when I was little Tommy when when uh uh when when the, when when I was jumped on by three gang members, right? So when it comes to like demonstrating my coping skills, man, I want to say that I got I got I got year over thirty years of not to participate in any form of violence. Right. Wow. And, a and long <laughs> yeah. it's a long yes, time. yes. When I really think about what 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 insight is, uh, I directly think about the people that I've harmed, and uh, I think 
for me, it's about feeling remorse. And remorse is not something that you, 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 you say, it's something that you do, it's something that you show. And the way that I express my remorse is the way that I live my life on a daily basis, right? As I go through the prison, I'm, I'm still involved. I'm a peer literacy mentor. Uh, I serve others. I'm determined uh, not to ever commit the horrible crimes that I committed, which landed me in prison before. So when I think about remorse, I think about all the harm that I've caused. I think about the man I murdered. I think about him never having the opportunity to walk this earth again and how it affected his family for the rest of their lives, right? And I feel horrible about that. I think about my mother and little brother. Their laws were taken as a result of the murder that I committed. I think about my son who was killed in 2018 uh, by police. Uh, had I been there, m maybe the outcome of his life would have been different. So, so I think about I think I think about, I think that insight is about demonstrating accountability. It's about demonstrating remorse, and it's about demonstrating amends. Notice I say demonstrating because it's not just about talking it. Mm. You got to also right. walk it. You know, it's bananas. As you're saying this, you know how people say, "Dude, that's heavy." Like, for real, the weight in the room right now is heavy. Like, you can feel it. Like, as soon as you started talking about your insight, like, I can just feel just, it's a it's a burden that you have, we have to carry as people who have committed harm. We have to carry this burden because we know we did something wrong. Yeah. And that's that insight, man. It's like, it's bananas that you can't be there to say what you just said because it's felt like I feel it. Yeah. It's real. It's tangible. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah, yeah. Now that's heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I when I feel when I, when I feel like the way I feel right now, I'm I'm really emotional. Like I feel like crying. Yeah, straight up. And uh, and and the reason why is because I know the harm I caused. I know that you know what I'm fucked up. I'm, yeah, <laughs> you know I never want to feel this way again. Mm. And in order for me to never feel this way again, I'll never commit another crime. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where I'm at mentally, right? I want to be there with my family. I want to demonstrate, yeah, that I am a, this kind, loving person. I want to demonstrate that I'm reliable, that I'm trustworthy, right? That I can exercise humility, that I have coping skills, that I have social skills and community skills. And I want to get out and I want to demonstrate these things. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, what's your core? You know, we... Uh... I can speak for myself. I know we. Um, I'm gonna be praying for you. You know, sending you well wishes, bro. Cause uh, it's that time, man. It, it, it's your time to go. And you know, one thing I find interesting is that you see a lot of dudes walk around the yard. You see dudes that have done a lot of time in prison, and really have made significant changes changes in their lives. And it's something different about them. You can see it. You can literally see when somebody is ready to go home as opposed to someone who's still caught up in the madness. And for what I see, you ready to go, bro. You can find Uncuffed on KLW 91.7 in San Francisco or at weareuncuffed.org. Subscribe to Uncuffed 
in any podcast player. Thanks to the team at KOW Public Media, our sound designer, Eric Maserati E. Abercrombie, Nina Gensler-Debs, Angela Johnston, Andrew Stelzer, Ben Trefney, and Eli Wirtshafter. And thanks to David Jassy for our theme music. On Cuff gets support from the Arts and Corrections Program, a partnership with the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. All content recorded on this inside is approved by an information officer. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.